Good morning. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you have prayer requests, fill it out the slip, fill out the slip that's in the bulletin, pass it in during the offering, and we'll pray for you today and throughout the week. And you can see the, some of the uh, Bible studies that we have scheduling during the summer. Uh, the Sunday morning Bible study for adults is going on right now. Uh, it started at 10.30. And the uh, IHOP Bible study is Monday morning at 7.30. Men's Tuesday morning study here in the sanctuary at 7.30. And the Manshed Bible studies Wednesday and Friday at 6 a.m. Every week, the uh, shelf in the lobby for you is to drop off food donations. At the end of the month, that will be taken down to our partner, Wichita ICT. And our other partnership in ministry is Treehouse Ministries, uh, with extra change for the needs of mothers in need and their babies. Leviticus 20, verse 26 says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty was written by Reginald Heber in 1826. John B. Dyke set this great hymn to music in 1861. The song is based on Revelation 4, verse 8, which says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As you're able, praise lives and join us as we open our worship. Amen. Yeah. 
Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are called, therefore, to repent and turn to God, who alone is judge of all. In true humility, let us confess our sins together. All-knowing God and loving Lord, we come before you confessing our sins and the gaps in our faith that settle for less than what your glory has in store for us. We admit that there have been times the world convinced us that our desires could be fulfilled by its shortcut, and we fell for it. There have been other moments we have found ourselves too prideful to admit our sins, so we made excuses for our choices and blamed others. God, open us up and take away the fear of being changed that holds us back from knowing you more deeply. Reinforce to our minds that it is in that intimacy with you we experience real life and true joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we boldly pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness from Psalm 103, 11, and 12. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Also from Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, our guidelines for living. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. Oh, the joy of the Lord is in me. Oh, I'm walking as he brings. While I'm walking where he leads me. That is why you're often hear me say, Bless the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus, sing unto the King of Israel. Bless the name of Jesus, praise the name of Jesus, sing unto the King of Israel. And I sing glory, glory, glory to his name forever. Glory, glory, glory to his name. Oh, let's worship him in his spirit. Oh, no matter who you are, he has done such mighty wonders. That is why this music's in my heart. Bless the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Sing unto the King of Israel. Bless the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Sing unto the King of Israel. And I sing glory, glory, glory to Him. Forever, glory, 
to his name, resting glory, glory, glory to his name forever, glory, glory, glory to his Celebrate, 
is risen, he is risen, and he lives forevermore. He is risen, he is risen, on and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. I Surrender All was written in 1896 by Judson W. Van Deventer. The music was composed by Winfield S. Whedon that same year. The scriptural reference is Mark 10:28. after the story of the rich young man who wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. The disciples were reminded that all things are possible with God. Peter responded with, we have left everything to follow you. Father in heaven, I just want to give you praise and thankgiving. For you've given yourself fully for the salvation of our souls. That you've given us so much in this life. For family, for health, for homes, for cars, for air conditioning. All those things, Lord, are blessings that most of the world does not even know about. We give you praise and thanksgiving, God, for all that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that you use these gifts as these people give faithfully towards the kingdom. For your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will Truly know that thou 
Father, we come to you and we are so grateful that we can come to your presence and bring all our cares and our concerns and our worries before you. And today, Heavenly Father, we come to you with our nation. We come to you with our county, with our city, Lord, and the violence that permeates our cities, the sadness that people have in their hearts that don't feel like they want to live anymore, even though you've given them such beauty in their lives that they can't see it. Lord, I see the families that I dealt with in the last two weeks and the sadness that my heart is brought to, to know that they did not know you, Christ, and also to know that, Lord, they made situations very, very, very sad for themselves and for their families. And I lay them before you for especially the loved ones that are all now picking up the pieces and trying to put them together. I pray for our nation, Lord, for our president, for the Congress. We pray for our city, our county, our state. On all those levels that these folks try to make laws and legislate and spend money Father, help us, Lord, to be an aid to our world. Help us, Lord, to be the salt and the light you've called us to be. I pray especially for our president and for clarity in his mind and also for all those around him. I pray that they all will see and clearly hear the call that you've given to them and use it to your glory and not to their own benefit. I pray also, too, Father, for the men and women who battle every day overseas to keep us safe and in our own country and on our own city streets. We pray also, too, for this whole thing about another level now of this artificial intelligence and another levels of different things that are changing in our world so rapidly. We thank you, God, for being the sovereign God in control. I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for those in our church that are struggling. I think of Bill and for Lucille and for Joyce and for Karen. All those who would love to be here this morning but can't come because they're shut in. I pray also, too, for Howard and for his getting surgery this week, I believe it is, on his back, and for Joyce also that is waiting to get surgery on her back. 
I praise you, Lord, too, that you'll be with Everett as he walks through this journey now. We pray for healing for him. I pray for Angie Ogile, who's <clears throat> been battling her cancer along with Samantha and also Jason Stevens and Jordan. All these people who, Lord, um, are battling cancer, we pray for their healing. I want to pray also for Luann and the continued healing and rehabilitation for her knee. I pray also, too, Father, for Nick, who also has a surgery coming up. And I pray also, too, Lord, for um, a young man who just got engaged. I just pray for him, and as they work together to continue to move forward towards marriage, that will honor and glorify you. Pray for those that are addicted, Lord, for Jordan, Ryan, David, Eric, Ricky, and Mitch. And for another fellow, um, Lord, that Russell, I just pray that you'll be with him in his addiction. That healing will come to his soul. I pray, Father God, too, now as we come before you in this message. You've really been challenging us, Jesus, with what we need to obey and what we need to do. We ask you, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the spirit of obedience. Fill us with desire to live for you every day, Christ. And it's in your name I pray this. Amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, back in the 60s and 70s, during the Johnson administration, there was a term called the credibility gap. And basically it was suspicion of the public because of the Johnson administration not talking honestly about the Vietnam War, some of the statements of and policies that it had made and what was going on over in Vietnam. And journalists made this euphemism called the credibility gap. The gap between the truth and what's fabricated. A few years ago, not too shortly, too long ago, we had another president who talked about the fake news. Of how we were getting news that wasn't true. And then we can remember what happened at the Kansas State Legislature when a chaplain got up and prayed this prayer. He said, Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and another side tells us the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, would you like to know what to do and who to listen to? If either side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There have been books written. One was written in 1991 by a fellow by the name of James Patterson, known as The Day America Told the Truth. And one of the statements he makes is that Americans lie. I know that surprises you all. They lie more than we imagine. And he began this study in this book. And one of the things he did is that they found in their basically surveys that everyone lies. 91% of us lie regularly. 
In recent years, we're facing a crisis, says Gina Scott. In her book, The Tell Truth About Lying in 2010, she says we're facing a crisis of conscience in this country. The ethical state of the nation is impaired. We need to do some soul searching because there's not honesty and ethics like there was in the past. What we find here, it's very easy to lie, deceive, and use unethical practices because it seems to work real well. And I think Gina has a point. The University of Massachusetts did a study. 60% of adults cannot, they said, have a conversation for 10 minutes without saying some form of lie. Now today, Jesus is pointing us to the truth. We know that from the garden, the father of lies, Satan, deceived Adam and Eve. To, and he lied to them and hoodwinked them. And sin began to affect not only Adam and Eve's choice of their fallen nature, but then lying became number one in our lives. Adam and Eve lied to God when he asked what had happened with them. We see in the Bible here, too, that there are times that it's easy for people to lie because they exaggerate to make themselves look better. There's times people lie to protect themselves and cover up what they've done. And people sometimes even lie to get ahead, like grades on a test score, or promotions, or tax benefits. And Jesus is talking to everyone today. If you remember, the Sermon on the Mount began in the third person that we were blessed when we realized the poverty of our souls and spiritually, and that how we need to mourn, and we're blessed when we mourn over our sins. Then we realize that Jesus is getting to the second person and says, but you need to be different. He said, you need to be the salt, the preserver, the purifier, and the light to spot on and show where the darkness is. And then he goes into the first person, which we are today. And he gets very pointed with six points, mostly around the, the Ten Commandments. And he says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry at a person, that's just the same. And he was pointing the disciples to see how important this was. And it's more than just the act itself. It's deep within our spirits. And we have to value what Christ says. Because you see, the Pharisees said, yeah, we don't commit murder. And Jesus said, well, you're right there, but you're murdering by what you say to people, how you curse them, and that you call them idiots and foolish. That's just like murdering them. And then he says, don't commit adultery. And they say, well, we don't do that physically. But Jesus says, but yet you do in your heart. You lust. You demean women. And so Jesus takes them to point there. And then last week, it's interesting, he talked about marriage. He talked about divorce. 
And all that goes on with that. And it's interesting that he puts that in between talking about lust and adultery. And now he's going to talk about vows. He's talking about when we make a vow to somebody in marriage is one of the biggest vows that most of us ever make in our lives. And there are vows that many people make, but they never follow through with. And Jesus comes to us. And he shows us that credibility and your ability to speak the truth is so critically important. Now in the Bible it says in the last times, 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to what? To deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. It's lies. Lies that Satan throws out there and diverts us from following Christ in the path. And that what we see in America today is a decline. Because 91% of people today admit they lie every day. And that men and women pretend every day. And they put up smoke screens every day. And they don't seek the truth. And we know why they do it. We know why we do it. We lie because we want to protect ourselves from any punishment. We lie so that we can get maybe gain that maybe somebody else can't. Or we get people onto our side and so we'll lie about another person and say something about them or escape the blame. We'll lie to get out of something we don't want to do. We make ourselves look better, we'll lie. Even to protect others, people's feelings, we'll lie. And the problem is that we know that when we start telling the truth, it can be hurtful. We know that it's easy to tell somebody a half-truth. Because then we don't have to explain it or deal with that person. Or deal with the uncomfortable situation it could throw us into. Now the Pharisees, Jesus is on them. And he wants the disciples not to be like them. Because Jesus realizes that the truth is the anchor to everything. Every relationship. Everything that happens in the world. And when we're not truthful. We put ourselves in danger. And the Pharisees, like good legalists, and this is what legalists do, they set the standard high, but then they know the loopholes. They find the loopholes that they can get around it. And we're going to see that today here. And Jesus is telling his disciples, don't do that. Your heart is with me now. You come to know Christ and his Holy Spirit is in you. You need to be a truth spiller. You need to be someone who is truthful and people can rely on. And don't deny it. Be proud that you stand for the truth. Because it's so easy to go the other way for a while. I was reading about a young wife. She was involved with a group of women that were in a study together. 
And they were studying French while their children were going to school, and it was a group of ten women. And one day the leader of the group said, you know, how many of you have been faithful throughout your marriage to your spouse? And this woman was talking to her husband, telling him about it. And she said, only one woman raised her hand. And he looked at her and he was shocked. He became very devastated. He said, honey. And she said, no, no. Honey, I've been faithful to you. But I didn't raise my hand because I didn't want to be ashamed and embarrassed. Now, we've seen this in our society. I remember growing up 30 years ago, going to college, and that people knew that I was celibate, and I did not have sex with women. They'd mock me. And I can see why some people are embarrassed by that. But we should be very proud of that. And when you tell them why, there are some people who will listen and say, boy, that, I wish I would have done that. But you see, in today's society, it's not in to be good. It's tragic. And we know <laughs> the next couple years, in fact, 2023 and 2024, with the elections going on, we know there's going to be a lot of lies going out there. Politicians have a way. Political ads can stretch the truth. Cable networks and all kinds of videos that we have on our phone will flood the media markets and sorting out what's true and what's not. I laughed the other day. I heard a clip about George Stephanopoulos when he was the President's, I think it was, a press secretary. He said the president has kept all his promises that he intended to keep. <laughs> Talk about a snow job. Today, the Bible speaks to us. Jesus speaks to us in these several verses. And he commands to us to be truthful. That when, no matter what vow we make and who we make it to, we're faithful. That we may take oaths and we do vows. We shouldn't even have to take them. Because of who we are and our integrity. And people know that we are strong in the truth. And they don't have to be afraid to make a vow or an oath or a contract with us. And Jesus is telling us, people of the word, to be truthful. And there's a reason why, of course. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, that God, haughty eyes and a lying tongue in the hands shed innocent blood are not what God desires. Lying lips are an abomination to God. And those who deal truthfully are his delight. So we are his delight. And what's important is to understand that the father of lies, Satan, wants us to lie. And that we are tempted within our own souls to lie because of the protections it gives us or 
because it's a subterfuge. And so Jesus comes to us this morning with the vow. He says, and again, you have heard the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now, Jesus is not against vows, not even vows invoking God's name. But what he's saying here is that we can't be flippant about it. Don't be rash and hasty by making a vow. And I know sometimes we mean well, but we make rash vows, or, and sometimes we don't keep them. I saw that in my life, and I see it in my life, and I have to be very careful about it. Because you know, as a pastor, or even as a Christian, to say, hey... Well, let me pray for you about that. I'll pray for you about that. And forget, because you get turned up in the busyness of the days and you don't pay. One of the things I do, like even at the Y, I'll stop and I'll say, well, let me pray with you right now so I fulfill my vow. That I also write it down, and I hope I don't lose the paper. I write it down so that I do fulfill that vow. Sometimes we'll say to people, well, I'll call you this week, and then we get too busy and we forget about it. The Word of God here is speaking to us, and Jesus is saying to us, don't become like the Pharisees who made all kinds of vows. And what happened is they were looking for loopholes, and we're going to look at those loopholes in a minute. But what's important to God is that your integrity, as a child of God, is important to God, because you see, when people look at you as a Christian, you are saying, I am of Christ, and I bear his name, and I am being truthful. And that Jesus never forbids us to take oaths. We will read in a minute Jesus saying something similar to that. But the reason why Jesus said it was because the Pharisees, the way they interpreted it. And there are some Christian groups that will say, we're not to take vows as Christian. You've probably heard it. George Fox, who was the leader of the Quakers and the Anabaptist movement, he said that you are not to vow even in court. In fact, he was sentenced to prison because he refused to swear on the Bible when he was called to testify. And there are Quakers who will not swear on the Bible. But you see, Jesus is not talking about that. Jesus is saying that we need to be ones who live God's word and that we're truthful about what we have and that every oath, every vow that we make People should be able to trust on our credibility, that they should see our integrity and believe what we say, because they know that we are the character that we will do what we say and what we will fill. You see, the Pharisees made these vows and sometimes they never intended them. I remember Sal Manzi, who used to go to our church and had to move out to California, for his wife's health. He had a repossession agency down off of uh, Douglas, I believe it was. And they worked for GMAC, which was 
basically the credit union of the um, General Motors. And he would say how many cars people would sign on the dotted line, these big long contracts and give a check and never once think about making another payment. And they would ride around those cars for as long as they could keep them hidden from the people he had working for him that were repossessors of those cars. And Jesus here is speaking to us here. And he's saying to us, make those vows, but hold them. Now, William Barclay says to us, the ideal is that people should never have to need to make an oath to buttress or to guarantee them basically getting an agreement. But you see, because of man's fallen nature, we have to guarantee these and we have to sign over and put all kinds of things around it because some are very untrustworthy. Swindoll says that. He says, you know, because of the untrustworthiness of the promises, people are reluctant without all these things. Bonhoeffer said that the very existence of oath is proof. There are such things as liars. <laughs> and John Stott said it so well. I love what he says. He says, the modern application is not far to understand. For the teaching that Jesus is timeless, swearing or oath-taking, is really a pathetic confession of man's dishonesty. I mean, we have people who will make all kinds of vows. I have one fellow who I've been helping out now for about two years, and he vows on his mother's grave. He vows honest to God. Every time he's got another story to tell me why I need to give him a gift card for Dylan's. And I tell him, don't say that. I'll give you the card, but don't tell me and swear on God. Now the question is for us today. Jesus is saying, are you a person who is really honest and trustworthy? Can people trust when you give them the word that they can trust it? Can you keep your promises? How about your promises to God? Have you kept those? Becoming a truthful person is first we need to admit that sometimes we're not always truthful. Or we have good intentions, but we never fulfill them. And that God calls us, it's okay to take the vow. But fulfill it. Now there are so many different subterfuges. The subterfuge is a deceit to use in order to achieve one's goal. The Bible says here, Do, You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. There's nothing wrong with that. But that we have to show that we're holding God's name up. And Jesus, the reason why Jesus says what he does in these next three verses is because the Pharisees were not doing that. In fact, what they were doing, they were doing a subterfuge. Let me explain. First he says, but I say to you, make no oath that either heaven or by the throne of God or by earth, for it is the footstool of the feet 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What Jesus is coming at the Pharisees for, because they were making oaths, but you see, they thought they were getting around bringing God into it. And instead of saying God's name, they were saying by the earth, or they say by Jerusalem, I swear by Jerusalem, all these other things, so that they could say they did not use the Lord's name in vain. And that they could get out of the contract or the vow that they made. And that then they could steal and cheat, but they still look great. Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. Number one, the earth is the Lord's, and by you swear by anything, it's the Lord's. So you're still not fulfilling what God wants you to do. And you're making it a disgrace. You're disgracing God. You see, and the Jews were trying to evade this, get around it, so they could make the vow, get what they want, and then they could just leave and keep what they had. But you see, Jesus sees between the lines, and he gets to them. He said, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving others. And the Bible says to us, Jesus, Matthew 12, that when we do that, we bring judgment on ourselves. In Revelations, it says that in the kingdom of God, everyone who loves and practices falsehood will be judged. And Jesus is calling us to radical truthfulness. Now, I, I understand. We all pretty much are truthful, but there's times when we lie. We don't fulfill vows. And Jesus is speaking to us and wants us to perform legitimate vowing. And that as we come along here, Jesus is saying this is another, if you don't watch it, it can be a form of hypocrisy. And that the design was to encourage these Pharisees, we're encouraging them to be clever in getting around the system. But you see, to God, when we give our word, it's a covenant, not only from us, but it's a covenant of God that we've made to other people. And that when we make that oath, we're bringing God into it. And that we as saints, when we make those oaths, we're representing God. And so when we go into a court of law, we put our hand on the Bible and we make the vow that we're going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. The Westminster Confession writes, As it matters weight and moment, momentous and oath is warranted by the Word of God under the New Testament as well in the Old. So a law oath being imposed by a lawful authority in such a matter ought to be taken and we can take them. But we need to be truthful. And we need to be sincere. And that we don't pretend. Now, one of the things C.S. Lewis talks about is sometimes we pretend. And what we are doing is we're again lying 
to people around us. When we pretend to be this kind of person, and inside we're not, and we're doing other things, and this is what the Pharisees did. Jesus said, you look like a white cup on the outside, but inside you are dirty. That kind of pretending has to stop. That's showing yourself something that you're not. And it's a subterfuge. But there's certain kinds of pretending, he says, is good for us. Now, how can that be? Well, he says, we are obedient children of the Savior. And when he says we're to love other people, that means we're to act in love. And there are some people we may not like in this life. There are some people who are hard to get along with and some people that are just difficult. But when we pretend to love them and we're obedient to God that we're going to love them no matter what, even though we may not like them. And they're horrible people. We will. And obedience, love them in Christ. And do our best to represent Christ and show them the kindness of the love in Jesus Christ, which we don't know how that will go. I was on a scene the other week, and the mother was very distraught. And when I began to try to talk to her, she basically told me where to take it. But I continued to love her. Because I understand her, understood her plight. And what she was going through. And continued to love her even though she didn't like me at all. Because she didn't like her situation. And what C.S. Lewis is saying here. We're growing in the obedience to Christ when we do that. That person may not be our best friend and never be our best friend. But we're still called to love them. Jesus is also talking to us about rash judgments. The Bible speaks about this time and time again. That we just don't be flipping and making vows just to make people like us or to, to do things. He's saying to us, don't make a rash vow if you can't keep it. Your word is your word. And so therefore, as a Christian, you need to be strong in that. Joshua made a rash covenant with the Gibeonites, and it cost him. Japheth made a rash vow. He lost a child because of it. Saul made a rash vow. And tragically, he lost his son Jonathan through it. And David even made a rash vow, which cost him dearly. And that we have to be watched, especially if you're a person who's over-agreeable. Be careful not to promise what you can't produce. Because I know sometimes we mean well, but it doesn't happen. And Jesus wants us to see we can stumble in many ways. We've got to watch what our mouth promises, what we see. I mean, how many of us 
as we look at life, how many people do we see that are very credible? Some of us can think of people like Michael Jackson, who everybody thought was this wonderful person. How many people did you know thought Ellen DeGeneres was such a wonderful, kind person? And then we can't find out what kind of person she really was behind the scenes. How many people thought they could trust the executives at Enron? It's interesting when we fully feel the impact of Jesus, the truth comes and sets us free. I was reading a powerful event that happened back in May of 2004. A young man by the name of Dan Leach was engaged to be married to his girlfriend, Ashley Wilson. But the police came to their house because all of a sudden Ashley was dead. Leach said, and the coroner said, and the detectives all felt that she had committed suicide. And they ruled it a suicide. And Leach went to the movie, The Passion of Christ, by Mel Gibson. And while in that movie, and he saw Christ suffering on the cross for his sins, he became convicted in his soul. And right after the movie was over, he had committed his life to Christ, and then he said to his friend, we need to go to the police department. And he walked into the police department, and he confessed killing Ashley. And he covered it up very well, they said. They all had rooted the suicide. But he admitted that she had gotten pregnant. And it wasn't in his plan. And she wanted to have the baby. And so he killed her. And that he had come in to plead guilty for the sin of murder. And his attorney, and this is where I want to get the idea, folks. This is our world. His attorney, Ralph Gonzalez, explained that he told Leach not to plead guilty. And he would represent him because otherwise his, he would have no rights. And that he would waive all the valuable rights that he had. And then he wouldn't even represent him as a client. You see, the problem, the problem was the lawyers was more interested in his rights than that man's integrity. This is the danger in our world today. It's all about feelings. It's all about looking good and not being truthful and honest and right. And when that happens, when you start doing that, people begin to avoid you because they don't want to, as, 
as in this, the, the, what's the show where he says, you can't handle the truth. People don't want to handle the truth today. And here Jesus comes to us and says it very simply. But let your statement be yes. Yes. And no and no. Anything beyond this is evil. Tell the truth. But above all, my brethren, says James, do not swear either by heaven and earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes. Your no be no, unless you fall into judgment. Be truthful. That's what Jesus says. And that yes, we can take oaths and vows in a courtroom, but we don't need that as Christians because people should be able to say, that guy tells the truth. And we trust them. One of the biggest tragedies ever in the world. When, when some well-meaning people took Hitler in 1938 to Munich and made the Munich Agreement. And Great Britain and Italy and Poland and France sat down at the table and they said... Hitler will give you a portion of Czechoslovakia. Thinking that would satisfy him. And Hitler was very nice and he signed the papers. And Neville Chamberlain thought for sure they had gotten peace. You see, because he was looking at peace at any price. He didn't want to go Britain to go back into World War I. Because that was going to happen. And they made the agreement. Hitler walked into Czechoslovakia. However, within a year, Hitler broke that agreement and not only claimed Czechoslovakia, but Poland and France he took, which began World War II. And we, as Christians, need to be very careful about who we sit at the table with and who we make vows with and who we get into partnership with. And you see, one of the tragedies was Neville Chamberlain wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. He wanted to have peace. And he was willing to make peace at any cost. And the tragedy, he didn't get the peace. In fact, he got another war because he was so naive. And Jesus here is speaking to us. And the simple truth, let your word be your word. Let your yes be your yes. Sandy and I, when we were in, I was in seminary. Sandy worked at the college of Hope College in, in western Michigan, Holland, Michigan. And we got to know this couple that she had worked with. She had worked in the student advisory for the college that she was at, and I was at the seminary. We got to be close friends with Dale and his wife, Margie. What a beautiful couple. Good Christian couple. And as you know, he owned an RV dealership. The problem was, it was during the gas crisis. And guess what happened? People started bringing their RVs back. And they had loaned money. They had loaned. And Dale had loaned a lot of money to give these people opportunities to buy these vehicles. And it came to the point 
that Dale realized he was going bankrupt. And sure enough, because of the gas prices and all these RVs coming back to him and the defaults on the loans and everything and then him not being able to pay the people who worked on him and fixed them and all that, he had to find chapter 11. But being a Christian, he didn't want to end it there. He could have gone home and sat on the couch and forgot about it all and he had a little nest egg aside. But he didn't. He began to rebuild his company. He began to work at it. And he paid every creditor back. And to this very day, when you were to use his name or his name would go for a bank for a loan, everybody was willing to loan money to him. Do you know why? Because he fulfilled his vows. And he paid all his creditors back. All the people that worked for him, that did work for him, he paid them back. They respected him so vitally because in Jesus Christ, he said to us, that was the right thing to do. And he did it. And the word of God here says to us, when you say yes, or when you make a vow, Fulfill it. You do the best. I know there are times that it's easy to fudge the truth. It can be very uncomfortable for us. One of the guys in my Bible study several months ago had a dilemma. Because he had a conviction in his life that he didn't believe that his cousin, who he knew and who he loved so dearly, was getting married in a same-sex marriage. And he said he wasn't going to go. And his family got on him. His grandmother. How could you do this to our family to... Turn your back on your cousin. How the pressure was being put on him to go, to support her. How easy it is to, to, to capitulate rather than stand for the truth. I know a fellow one time who was bragging as a Christian. How he was getting free Netflix. Because Netflix has a deal that if you have, you can get free Netflix for a month. And for that year, he had made 12 different names on the computer. And every month he would give a new name and a new address for his mailbox. So he could get, get free Netflix. He was stealing. I know myself sometimes, and you know it too. 
When you're a Christian and you're convicted in your heart about something. And I have some relatives that they put stuff on Facebook that I've thought, maybe I just ought to get off Facebook. (laughs) Because they put stuff out there that is totally opposite of what I believe. And I believe they're doing it to bait me. (laughs) And my easiest reaction is, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Because I may get taken out of the will. (laughs) But you know what? They need to hear it. And to lovingly be honest with them and tell them what I believe sometimes is painful because they get all kinds of mad and angry. But we want them to know the truth because the truth of God sets us free, not lying to them. It's kind of like this whole thing with the transes. I'm not going to call them by another pronoun. And the reason is because I'm not going to give in to the delusion. Now, there's some people who are mad about it. I know some companies will even give you a hard time about that. But I'll call them by their legal name. But I'm not going to play the game. Because that's giving them falseness. And it's affirming, not giving them the truth. They need the truth. That's what sets us free. Not hiding and making up stuff that's not even true. I want them to know that I'm a man of integrity. That I can be trusted. And then I'll tell them straightforward. And that the yes be yes and the no be no. There are people in this generation that have a hard time fulfilling vows that they've made. We see it in marriage. Oh, I just felt. (laughs) Felt. You made a commitment before Almighty God. You stood here at the altar and said, I do. For better, for worse, for richer, for worse. I do. Give myself to this person. That's true. And that's who we are. If we are Christians. If we want to follow the world and go into the darkness, maybe that's not true. I was touched. Reading about C.S. Lewis this past week. Because C.S. Lewis took seriously the vows he made. He felt a strong conviction about it in his own personal commitment to Christ. But during World War I, he had a friend. He couldn't go into the military because he had some disability or something that he was kept out, and so he gave himself to civil work in Britain at the time. But he had a friend that went off to war, World War I, and his friend said to them, him, if something happens to me, would you take care of my wife and small daughter? And Lewis said, I'd be pleased to do that for you. I commit myself to doing that. The war goes on, and then 
One day, a chaplain from the army comes to the woman's door and shares the news that her husband had been killed. And she was devastated. So was her daughter. But Lewis took care of her until after the war and she got remarried. And the little girl went off to college. And he said, and this is where it comes, folks. Some of you understand this very well. He said that I had made that commitment to the Lord and to my friend. And he said, no matter how helpful I was to her, she was ungrateful. She was rude. She was bitter. She was arrogant. She was domineering. But you see, Lewis said, God put it on my heart that I refuse to let her actions become an excuse for me to go back on my word. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Let your word be yes, yes, and your word no, no. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We need to hear it in a world that people say things in public and vow things, and yet in reality, it means nothing. And Lord, we want to be people of the truth. People who walk in the truth. And that we're a witness. We're that light shining in the world. That when we make a vow, when we make a commitment, we follow through with it. And live it, Lord. Thank you, Christ, for these folks. For their love for you. And the desire to be committed disciples of you, Jesus. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. That comes inside of us and gives us that ability to fulfill those vows. Jesus, bless us. We need it. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Please rise for the benediction and we can sing our closing song. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Through it all, through it all.